Dressed in his sound mind, looking fit and healthy, but that isn't always been the case. And it can be nerve-wracking, isn't it, Colin, as we face this wonderful, I was about to say smiley congregation, but you wouldn't have if they were smiling or frowning. Uh, when I came in there, it was empty, and I was like, yes. <laughs> I turned around, and it's full, so. Uh. All right, so this is just like a discussion with chums, and met with Colin on Monday evening, and he's got some story to share, but we'll try and narrow it down as well. Um, if you didn't attend Colin, he's went through the Teen Challenge program, but we're well on that. But Colin is going to help us with the Christmas meal, and Colin is also a trained chef. <laughs> so being a trained chef, what is your favorite meal? Beef Wellington. Beef Wellington. I'm not familiar with Beef Wellington. 50 here with Beef Wellington. Beef plus... Fillet of beef wrapped in um, puff pastry with mushroom duck cell and pate. And Sounds good, huh? Well, maybe you could cook that for us sometime, Colin? Huh? Well, I'll see how it today goes, right. Okay, so let's get into your story. So, you was actually born in Scotland. I was. I was, oh. I was uh, believe it or not, I was born in Glasgow. Um, back in 1979. 1979. So tell us about your early childhood, because I kind of a lot of things happened in that um, period. So you moved to Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been trying. I've been thinking about this on the way over, and I've been trying to think, like, try and normalise it a little bit. And, but the reality of it is, it wasn't normal. It was a bit crazy. Um, uh, but I'll start at the beginning. So I was born in Glasgow. Um, I was in foster care by the age of two because my mum had a bit of an alcohol problem. Um, but she managed to get us back when I was four. Um, and I think the whole scenario of losing me and my sister for, for two years scared her a little bit. So she ran away. She grabbed us and, and, and ran down to England. She saved up these uh, with Mars bars at the time. If you bought Mars bars, you got a, a National Express token. So we were eating Mars bars for a couple of months. And uh, she saved up all these tokens, got, got us on the National Express bus and just headed to London um, with absolutely nowhere to go. Um, so I think I was four or five at the time. Um, so we're walking around London, me, my sister and my mum, you know, homeless, nowhere to go. Uh, and the first night we were there, I remember we, we ended up with all these homeless guys in an underground car park. Okay. Uh, just with sleeping bags and stuff. And, uh, I, you know, I loved it. I'm a very outdoorsy person. And uh, I thought it was great, you know, at the time. Um, but thinking back on it now, it was pretty crazy. Um, yeah. So you're five years old. Mm. You're in... London, um, your mum had alcohol problems, was mm -hmm. she would term herself an alcoholic, was it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. So how was yours, how did that affect you growing um, up? Well, it was, to be honest, it was normal for me because I didn't really know any different. My mum and my dad, before I was born, were both heavy drinkers, um, so I was kind of born into it. Um, I did have a big family in Glasgow, so I had a lot of aunties and stuff who were quite active in my life, they were there when I wasn't in foster care. Um, so I did experience some love and I did experience some, some good times. Um, but alcohol was just always there, do you know what I mean? From morning till night with my mum, you know, through it right up till I was in, in my 20s, you know, so. Okay, so growing up, how did you fit in at primary school? How did that affect your schooling? 
primary school was, uh, was, was, was crazy as well, obviously. We went through the homeless in, in London, um, and we eventually got a, got a flat in a place called Bethnal Green. Um, and my mum got us into a school. Uh, and at the time, I had a really severely squint eye. Mm-hmm. I had a, an operation later on in life to, to correct it a little bit. Um, but obviously, I had a Scottish accent, I had a squint eye, and my mum used to cut this mullet haircut. So I was, I was different, you know? <laughs> I had all these uh, East London Cockney kids running about, you know, and there was me. And uh, I was quite an anxious kid. I was, I was really quite uh, wary of people. And uh, so I, I, I become a bit of a different kid. And, you know, the, the school bullies uh, kind of took advantage of that, I suppose. No way. Um, was there any mention, because we're obviously sitting in church yeah. here and yeah. No, no, Jesus. Was there one, any mention of faith growing up? What was your idea? Or? Uh, and when I was in, when I, sorry, before I left Glasgow, we were in a nursery, St Mary's, uh, which was very, all of it was Catholic. You know, I was brought up to be a Catholic. That's what my mum used to tell me. I was Catholic and I was Celtic, and I didn't have a, I didn't have a say in the matter. It was very that good. was it. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so I kind of we'd heard about Jesus, and we used to sing songs, you know, when I was very young. Um, but other than that, yeah. no, there was no sort of. Progressing on then to the, to the, from primary school to secondary school, how was life for you, you then? Did your mother, I'm, I'm second guessing that your home life was quite chaotic, although you would see it as normal, and I guess that's the resilience of kids. But yeah. did things progress? Did your mum get better? Did she get uh, worse? She went through stages, you know, she was up and down, she'd try and get sober, you know, there was times where... I now know to be social services where women would come into the house and take me and they sent me on a plane once up to Glasgow and my auntie Julie looked after me for two weeks and obviously looking back I know that was when my mum went into rehab to, to kind of sort herself out a bit. So it was sporadic, you know, but it was, it was more drinking than, than not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so did you progress on employment after your um, time at secondary school? Um, secondary school was pretty crazy for me. Um, I, f- I found alcohol, I think, when I was about f- 14. Obviously, I saw my mum drinking throughout the years, and uh, I seen a, a braveness that she got from it. She kind of got a bit, mm-hmm. a bit bold with it, and I, and I kind of wanted that because I was kind of where I was bullied throughout school. I was kind of, uh, I was quiet, I was reserved, and I didn't want to be. You know, I wanted to be like the other kids, and I wanted to be bold. And so I thought I'm going to try this vodka. So I went into the kitchen one morning, and uh, I took a shot of it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great. It kind of it gave me a, a, a real kind of boost, yep. you know. And it's interesting because you'd seen the destruction yeah. it caused yeah. for um, your mum. Yeah. And you'd seen the turmoil in your daily life. Mm-hmm. Yet, um, I came a point that you wanted to try this, that it caused so much destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there near a side of you that thought, hold on, I see what's happened to my mum. I just not going near anything like that. No, not at all. I mean my sister did. My sister was, was completely uh didn't want didn't want anything to do with it, you know. She left home when she was fourteen because of the stuff that was going on at home. Um but no, and once I'd tried it, that was it, I didn't really care. I was just mm-hmm. I was alcohol, that was it. It was that was the way forward for me, you know. So was that, did it happen quickly? You tried it, you tried the vodka? Uh, from, then from initially trying it, I think it was 13, 14 years old. I was then stealing it out of the, out of the cupboard all the time and I was going to uh, 
supermarkets and nicking cans and stuff. And I, I eventually got in with a crowd of people that were like-minded and wanted to drink. And I got this boldness, and I just started being a, a bit of an idiot, a bit of a, a bad lad, and stealing cars. And you know, I got I got addicted to getting a bit of reputation for myself. Do you know what I mean? And it, it just one thing led to another. I started getting arrested. Uh, ended up in prison a fair few times. You know, I think most of my teenage years I was I was locked up. You know? I kind of got some sort of satisfaction out of that. I kind of enjoyed being the bad lad, you know. I got a bit of a, a reputation, if you like, and uh, I kind of. And sometimes that's it. The, the reputation as well, and fitting in with the crowd, it goes hand in hand. Mm. Um, without that, we'll get on to this maybe at, at the end. Sometimes that's a difficulty when people get clean, get saved, do a team challenge program, or don't do a team challenge program, mm. and then they come to church and they find, hold on, I have to start this whole new social aspect of my life mm -hmm. again, whereas if we step back into the life of crime, it was Jack the Lad, mm -hmm. people knew us. And uh, has that been a challenge for you? To, to, to yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, it's, when Jesus comes into your life, he, he completely changes everything, you know? And uh, he first came into my life 10 years ago. And um, I wasn't ready. I wasn't. I wasn't in a place where I could, you know. I'd go to church and uh, I'd fill out a place. Mm -hmm. I'd feel like I was judged. You know, I'd kind of project how I was feeling about myself onto everyone around me. Yep. And it kind of just pushed me out of church. You know, I was like, that ain't for me. That's not for me. You know? Yep. So I'll rewind a bit in your story. Right. So you was alcoholic, into prison, out of prison, stealing cars, um, got this circle of friends. But you're quite well known. Mm -hmm. um, but knowing your story, you had then went, became a place that you went to Teen Challenge in London mm -hmm. first. So what, what happened there? Or what happened before you had to decide, okay, I need to get myself sorted? Um, it was a kind of a, a chain of events, I suppose. Um, so from school, kind of prison, um, into my early 20s, I think when I was a late teenager, I started working in a hotel. That's where I kind of trained as a chef. So I kind of managed, I got distracted a little bit from, you know, being the lad, you know, trying to nurture my, my reputation. Um, and, I, and, I, and I enjoyed the cooking and I, and I learned how to do that, but I was still kind of getting locked up and losing the job and it was kind of a bit of a mishmash. Um, but I managed to qualify as a chef and I, I kind of got into the, the hotel scene, which was pretty crazy. Um, so I was just dotting about the country, do you know what I mean? I'd get into trouble at one hotel and I'd leave and go and get in. You know, because I, I picked the, the chefing up quite well, so I was pretty good at it, so I could, mm -hmm. and I could sell myself, so I, I found it easy to pick up a job. So I just dotted about all over the country, working in different hotels, partying in different parts of the country, and, you know, I, I fathered three kids during all of this, mm -hmm. you know, three different mothers all around the place. Just a, just a life of a, a, a chaos, if you like. But it allowed me to drink and work and, mm -hmm. and just, just, be, uh, just be the person I thought I wanted to be, you know? So what was the point then for to, to go to a place, Teen Challenge, which would be a year out of your life? So that came along, I think I was in my 30s, but before that, and I'll go back to when I was 27, um, is when my mum passed away. So my mum was an addict as well as a, an alcoholic. She was addicted to prescription drugs, uh, Valium and the hydrocodone. Um, which I never knew, I didn't know what these tablets were, I just know that, knew that she needed them at the time. Um, and uh, she one day would take it, because she used to get her tablets on a Thursday and she'd just take, take like half a box of whatever. Mm -hmm. But this one day she took, she took them and she drank some brandy with them and she, she never woke up. 
Um, so that was, a, that was a low point in my life where the alcohol, I was drinking, I just started drinking and drinking and it wasn't doing nothing. It wasn't, it wasn't hitting the spot I needed it to hit. And I, I knew a guy across the road who used to get in the right state. I never really knew what he was on, but I knew I wanted to get in the same state as him. So I ended up knocking at his door and in, in his house and, and smoking heroin uh, for the first time. Uh, and during this time, I was with a girl called Sarah. We just had a daughter called Chelsea. Um, I had Fraser, who was, I think, three. Morgan, who was two. Uh, who I had no contact with. Um, and we had Chelsea. Um, she was four at this time. And uh, I'd started dabbling with heroin. And Sarah was a lovely girl. She didn't, she wasn't into drugs. She wasn't really into drinking. You know, she just wanted to be a, be a mum to our daughter. Mm -hmm. um, but my chaotic life had an impact on her. And uh, we ended up living together. We got a flat and, you know, I tried my hardest to be a dad, but it just wasn't working. You, couldn't, you, can't, you can't be a dad and drink and take drugs. It just doesn't work. Um, uh, long story short, my lifestyle, bringing addicts to the house and, you know, getting arrested and all that sort of stuff, it had, it had its impact on Sarah, and Sarah started uh, dabbling with heroin. So we both ended up hooked, uh, and both ended up injecting it. So we were injecting this uh, heroin into our veins, and, and Sarah didn't have very good veins, so she, she started injecting into her groin, which is quite common amongst addicts that haven't got any veins. Um, Again, we, w we weren't able to be parents to Chelsea, you know, we, we brought a load of chaos to our life. Uh, so we ended up dealing drugs, you know, we were doing, we were robbing stuff and just everything that you shouldn't have a four-year-old kid involved in. Mm. Um, so a long story short, again, our door ended up going through and Chelsea got taken into foster care. Um, which again, at the time, it seems like a really hard thing to, to deal with, but when you're engulfed in drugs, you don't really care. Mm -hmm. You just, you just want to, nurture your habit, do you know what I mean? You don't really realise the impact of it, you know, yeah. it, you need to get into your right mind before you realise what you've actually done. Um, so, a long story short, it didn't go well from there, we both, we, we sunk deeper and deeper into addiction, um, and Sarah got taken ill, where she, she went into hospital, um, and she never come out. She, uh, she got septicemia of the blood, injecting into her groin um, and she got pneumonia that and her asthma uh, she had a cardiac arrest and didn't wake up and she was only 23 at the time um, and that was a obviously a massive a massive blow because I, I, I blame myself for it because if I hadn't have brought the, the heroin into her life it probably would have never happened so I, I was I was consumed with guilt I suppose um, Chelsea was in foster care at this time um, and there was talk of her maybe getting adopted, but you know, we were fighting against it. And, but when that happened to Sarah, I, I, I just knew I, mm -hmm. I couldn't look after this little girl, you know? And she was six by this time, so a couple of years had passed. Um, so I had to sign her over. I had to sign her over to get, to get adopted, yeah. which was probably the hardest thing sure it was. I ever had to do. But adopting parents mm -hmm. were Christians, weren't they? Well, the foster carers, so the, the adoptive care. parents are different. So you've got foster carers who she okay. went to first, and then the adoptive parents came when she was seven. Right. So she was in my life till she was seven. Um, but from, f from four, she kind of came back to us a couple of times and we lost her again. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a bit of a tangled story. Um, but the foster carers that were predominantly her foster carers were, were Christians. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they, they constantly pursued me and Sarah, constantly showing us this love that I just did not understand. You know, and they, they seemed to see something in me that I, I couldn't see. Yeah. And even after Sarah passing away, Chelsea getting adopted, and they'd given up fostering because mm -hmm. that whole scenario, you know, it kind of had an impact on them. Mm -hmm. um, but they just kept pursuing me to the point where Rain slept in her car outside a drug dealer's house one night, waiting for me to come out so she could give me some presents for me to give to my daughter because it had been my last birthday with her. Um, which just speaks volumes of, of, of the type of people they were at. But anyway, I ended up drinking, got into a really bad place, but Rain just kept on pursuing me. She kept on pursuing me and just pouring love into me. And I never understood it. I ran away from it. I, I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't get away from it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I couldn't, you know, because she told me about Teen Challenge. It was 2012. Um, and I ended up on the, on the doors of Teen Challenge London on the 20, 25th of September. 2012 um, and I, I went into the program and I, and I found the same no-nonsense brutally honest love that I found in Rain and Mark Simpson mm -hmm. uh, and I just saw these guys that used to struggle with stuff that I was struggling with and they just had a peace about them mm -hmm. and I was like well, you know what I want some of this I really want some of this and so I just dived in you know I started reading the Bible and you know I went to the church and I gave my life and you know it was it was great yeah, and for people who don't know the Teen Challenge program, what's the typical day in Teen Challenge? Uh, well, London. London was a bit stricter than, than Sunny Bray. Um, you'd get up quarter past seven, you had a shower in your room and a sink, and you had to hoover, clean everything, you had to wipe the skirting boards, you had to shine the, the glass doors on, and the taps so you could see your face in them, couldn't mm -hmm. be any watermarks. Yeah. Um, then you'd go and have quiet time, you'd sit and read your Bible for 15 minutes, you weren't allowed to talk, and you'd go and have breakfast, and you know, you can't sit down at the table until you're told that you're allowed to sit down at the table. Stuff like that, you know, it kind of strips you as a man a little bit. Um, it teaches you how to, to submit, you mm -hmm. know, and um, it's just regimented, it's regimented, and it keeps you awake from quarter past seven in the morning, you can't get to bed till quarter past ten at night, so you're knackered by the time you go to bed, you know? Yep. But it, it invites structure into our lives, you know what I mean? Because we are undisciplined addicts, we've lived chaotic lives, um, so it's, it's good for us, you know? We need it, you know? Yep. And the more you fight against it, the, the worse it is for you, so it's... Very good. So, uh, in an ideal world, right, mm. we would say, it was a life of chaos, a lot of heartbreak growing up, then you got to a low point, then you go to Teen Challenge, you get right with Jesus, and then a happy ever after story. That would be great, wouldn't That'd it? That'd be nice, it would be nice. But uh, that was never the case. Uh, yeah. And I think it's important, this is a moment of vulnerability, this is a moment of just sharing stories. And yeah. I think everybody's story is vital, even if it's a story like yourself, that mm. is not just went to Teen Challenge once, and then just progressed and didn't look back. Um, so what happened after the program? So you get your graduation certificate, life is going well, and then um, speak about, about your relationship with Jesus at that point. What was your thoughts? Um, when I left Teen Challenge the first time, I kind of left Jesus there. You know, I kind of I met a girl on online uh, on a I don't know dating site called Zeus or something, and. Uh, we ended up getting married. I ended up just manipulating the situation to get me out of Teen Challenge. I've been there two years. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd kind of had enough of this Christianity stuff, and and it was you know time to go and live life. And you know, mm -hmm. and I had all the you know I, I had 
I had all the drive and everything to do it. And I went and I got married and life for the next six years was, was, was good. You know, we set up a couple of businesses, me and my wife, and we got married, by the way, and uh, it was good, you know, to the outside world, we looked pretty successful, you know, we had nice cars and businesses were doing well, I had two stepdaughters who I got on quite well with, um, but I just, I rushed, I rushed in, you know, it wasn't my, it wasn't, my pl- it, it wasn't God's plan, it was my plan. Yeah, um, so you got your teen child certificate, and as you say, you left Jesus in the centre, right, pursued your, uh, and it went well for a while. It did, yeah. But obviously something else happened because you ended up doing Team Challenge once again. So how did that rosy picture develop into yet more chaos? Um, Well, I hadn't obviously dealt with the issues that I had from from stuff that had gone on in my life, you know. Um, Obviously, the the predominant stuff being Sarah and Chelsea, and I hadn't dealt with it. I I just tried to mask it and cover it over um, with with stuff, uh, with nice cars and houses and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I just kept relapsing, you know, every year it got round to um, the time where Chelsea got adopted or the time where Sarah died, I, you know, it, it, I just couldn't cope with it. I couldn't cope with the, with the guilt, I suppose, of it all. Um, and I kept relapsing. And you know what? My wife was a, she was a, a good lady, do you know what I mean? She was, mm-hmm. she was a good, strong lady and, and she deserved better than that. Um, and nobody deserved to put up with that sort of chaos that I was now bringing to their life, do you know what I mean? Because they'd never experienced anything like what I'd, I'd brought to them. Um, so within her right, she, she kicked me out, um, ended up homeless again, uh, and that's when I came to Sunny Bray. And I suppose a, a, a long story short, from there I came and I'd done the Teen Challenge program again. When I got into phase four, my wife told me she wanted a divorce, which I couldn't cope with at the time, so I then I went and that's when I went to stay with Martin and Pat, who were who were brilliant. Um, and again, I just tried to rush into life and, and mask everything over and prove to my ex-wife that everything was okay and I had it and I got the good job and I went and got a house. And but again, I hadn't, I really hadn't dealt with what I needed to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all kind of went wrong. Another two attempts at, at Teen Challenge failed. My divorce came through. I ended up living in a, a tent in Epping Forest um, just near where my, I went down to where my sister lived. She was my last hope of, yep. of uh, get, I suppose, getting somewhere to stay because I burnt my bridges everywhere else. But my sister, and I'm so glad she did this, she shut the door on me, you know, wow. which must have been really hard for her to do, um, knowing that I was living just a couple of hundred yards away in Epping Forest in a tent in a really, really bad way, you know. Wow. And... Uh, yeah, she had, to, she had to give me that brutal, tough love, you know, and which we need as addicts. You can't be mollycoddled, you know, we can't be... If she'd have let me in and just enabled me to, to do what I was doing, I'd probably still be there or I'd be dead. Yeah. But um, I ended up ill in this tent. I was, I was drinking heavily, 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 and I ended up really, really ill um, to the point I was rolling about in my own vomit and urine. Um, absolutely at the end of myself. I didn't care if I lived, I didn't care if I died. Something inside me had just switched off. All the pain from everything that had gone on was gone, and I was, I was just totally at the end of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how this happened, but a couple of groundsmen found me. Um, I think I ended up crawling about out in a field somewhere. I'd started hallucinating and, and all sorts in a, in a right mess. And some groundsmen found me, phoned an ambulance. I ended up in hospital, I had severe pancreatitis. 
doctor said if, you, if it was another couple of days, you'd probably be dead. Uh, and within that time in hospital, I can't really remember what happened, but I ended up on the phone to Martin Christofferson, who uh, spoke life into me, you know? I can't really remember what it is he said, but he, uh, he fired someone up, you know? And I got out of hospital, and I went back to the tent because I had nowhere to go. I ended up drinking again. But I, I stayed in contact with Martin Christopherson and Martin Duffy, absolute heroes. Um, they just kept pouring into me, pouring into me. I had no intention of coming back to Teen Challenge. I had no intention of you know, doing anything. I just wanted to die, but they just kept pouring that love into me, bringing the love of God into my life. And uh, through that, uh, Martin Duffy paid for my ticket to get, to get up to... Uh, Teen Challenge, I found it somehow within myself mm -hmm. to, to, to get back up, you know, 600 miles to Teen Challenge, Sunny Bray. Uh, absolutely broken, mate, you know, absolutely sure broken. Was. Um, summer of 2020, um, nothing left, just completely at the end of myself, you know, and that was mm -hmm. a place that bizarrely enough I really needed to be. Um, God knew I needed to be there because I was, my heart was so hard, mm -hmm. you know. He needed me to be there to realise that I ain't in control of myself. Do you know what yeah. I mean? He's got his hand on me. And I'd, I'd, I got into to Teen Challenge. They'd done my intake, strip search and all that sort of stuff. And I got into my room and I, I just fell to my knees. And uh, I just said, you know, because I'd experienced God over the last 10 years. I'd experienced him. But I'd never given him my life. I'd, I'd always had a plan B. I always had a get out clause. You know, I never let him into everything. And I just felt on my knees and I just said, Lord, I said, you know, take over. I can't do this, you know. Yeah. And nothing spectacular happened, you know. There was no, flipping, there was no flashing lights or nothing. I never got, a, a, you know, a mad desire to go start raising the dead or anything. But at the moment, I just got a, he gave me an assurance that, that he's got my back, <laughs> you know. And, and he has. And since that day, it's, it's just, he's completely turned the way I look at life on its, on its head. You know, he's changed me from being so self-centered and so self-focused. He's helped me to focus on other things and other people's situations that are going on around me. Mm. And through that, he's healing me. You know, he's healing me. And, you know, things are starting to happen in my life that I can't comprehend. My daughter Morgan, who I'd never met before, um, came into my life at the beginning of last year. Mm -hmm. um, we're now connected through Facebook who, funnily enough, has been quite standoffish with me over the past few months, but she texted me yesterday and said, are you okay, Dad? I love you. Which, oh. was, uh, which was pretty special, you know? And uh, just Chelsea now. Chelsea's 17, so it's 10 years she's been adopted, so she'll be 18 next year and able to make up her own mind, and, and mm -hmm. I've got every faith that she's going to come knocking on my door one day. We'll pray for that. It's astounding. We we'll read about miracles in the, the Bible about lives transformed, mm. but it's a miracle to think that you was 2020 um, in a tent, mm. we nothing, mm. wanted to die, um, severe regret problems, mm -hmm. addiction problems, vomiting on your own in a tent, but. Uh, see you sitting here today mm. and able to communicate to these lovely people your story for me is just just a miracle in god's it is an absolute miracle um, yeah. one thing i want to, to, to try and home in on listen to sort of pauline's testimony a few mm. weeks ago she was 
fantastic and she has that if life throws you lemons mark lemonade and she's been through her own battles and god's got a hand on it on her life but your story is so different mm-hmm. in the terms of you took the lemons and there's a lot of we addictive behavior it's now that life gave you a bad hand so mm-hmm. this is you made the best of it uh, you made your own chaos as you brought into different people's lives right. and as we we spoke on the alpha course on wednesday night today with forgiveness how has that been processed in your life just to forgive yourself like you look back and you've got relationship with kids that you're still trying to work through how, how do you deal with that because we've all made mistakes some big some small mm-hmm. we've all had to deal with in our life how do we deal with our, mm-hmm. our own mistakes how has that been processed in your life? Well, for me, it's, uh, I have to stop playing a victim. You know, what happened, happened. Nothing I can do to change it. Um, and just giving it to God, you know, and seeking, seeking him. And, you know, that's what I hadn't done. I called myself a Christian for 10 years, but I don't believe I was. I don't believe I was until I, I fell to my knees that day in Teen Challenge in last year. Um, just, I just spent time with, with the Lord mm-hmm. and, and allowed him to to shine his light into me and, and, and change the way that I feel about myself and accepting his forgiveness allowed me to forgive me mm-hmm. um, and forgive, you know, forgive people in, in my past that, that I was holding grudges against. I didn't even realize I was holding grudges against, yeah. you know, but it's only when you realize the amount that God's forgiven you that you can actually really forgive yourself and then start to forgive those around you. Mm-hmm. Powerful stuff. You touched on, you did a Teen Challenge program once, did that again touched on maybe the main difference between this time and mm-hmm. those times because um, you could probably do the program in your sleep oh. you can you can do the yeah. do the if it would just say the rules and the regulations in the program mm-hmm. that's stored up on you um, but you touched on this word surrender mm-hmm. um, would you say that that is the main difference and now you've, you've came to a point of surrender and what does that mean to you to surrender to Jesus completely? I think it's 100% about surrender. You know, it's, uh, if I go back throughout the last 10 years and I look at how I tried to be a Christian and, you know, doing all the Christian stuff and I hadn't surrendered. You know, there was stuff that I kept close to my heart, stuff that I kept that I didn't trust anybody with. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the Lord knew that he had to bring me to that absolute broken place in order for me to say, look, it's, I need to give it to you. You know, and it's the whole reason I've stayed on at Teen Challenge for another year doing an internship is to to allow me to practice that surrender because it's not easy. It's not something you just wake up and, you know, it's all good. It, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, he throws challenges into your path. You know, I've always needed a woman in my life. I've always needed a, a, a close connection with a woman. So he was obviously going to come at me with that one, you know, and he did. And I started a little relationship up and, and my pal Mark was... Colin, you sure this is, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, 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 you know, it's from God, you know, the girl wasn't even a Christian. Um, but I journeyed with it for a couple of months, and then for the first time in my life, I was able to, to do the right thing. You know, this isn't from God. This is not God's plan for my life. You know, you've got stuff you're dealing with. A woman in your life is probably the last thing you need right now. So I managed to walk away from that before it got, you know, I brought any chaos into someone else's life. Um, and just through that one experience, God is showing me what happens when you submit and when you surrender to him and you do things his way. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm still in Teen Challenge. I'm still under that umbrella and I'm, he's allowing me to 
journey down this road and down that road and make mistakes and then show him the outcome, you know. But I'm just, he's, he's just showing me when you do trust him and when you do give it to him, he, he blesses you beyond your, beyond your wildest dreams. Amen. Sit and listen to you. And uh, again, from a deed of these things, we sort of presume that there's maybe people in here that can nothing about Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, you speak about Jesus as though he's just a person. You just have a relationship with him. You pray mm -hmm. him. You ask him for guidance. Uh, how do you see yourself? How do you maintain that? Because that's not something that only program can give. And I think that's some of the big take-out things for doing a program to life after I was saying that's relationship with Jesus uh, continually. How do you maintain is that a discipline? Is it a yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a, a discipline. And I used to struggle with it because I used to confuse discipline with religion. I used to think if you're getting up every morning and, and, and you're reading your Bible, that's religious. So you don't need to do that, you know? But I was wrong, you know? I get up every morning, read my Bible, and spend time with the Lord as a discipline because I want to get closer to Him. I want that relationship with Him. I need that relationship with Him. Yeah. It's only with Him that I'm going to be able to succeed in life. Mm -hmm. um, so I do it. And it, and it yeah, it's, it's just that. And it's journeying with Him throughout the day, you know? It's not just getting up and praying with Him in the morning, leaving Him there, and then going through yeah. the day. You just bring Him with you. I talk to Him like He's my best pal, like throughout the day, whatever I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's as silly as shall I go left or right at a junction. Do you know what I mean? It, it, but it's just become Continual. very real and a, a person in my life rather than just a... Brilliant. Yeah. Just a few more questions before we, we, we wrap this up. Um, and from a meeting on Monday, I didn't ask you this. But I can, the difficulty it can be for, I can there's a few Team Challenge guys here as well. The difficulty coming out with a year, 24-7 program, care, attention, to life outside Team Challenge, um, for many of us would just see as normal life, get a job, become a church. Is there one thing that you would say that help us as a church? What would you expect for us? What can we do for you to, in your type of situation, for you mark the switch, for life on a program, a life here? If it's the main things you would look for in a church? Um. Just exactly what you what you do, you know. You're very welcoming, very friendly. Um, make me feel really at home. You know, that's why I keep coming back because I feel like I've I belong here. Um, and that's only through the people that I've connected with, Gillian, the Christophersons, and yourself, and mm -hmm. you know a few other people. Um, yeah, just uh, just do what you do. There's there's not really any. any one you, thing I think I it's helpful because sometimes the church we're always looking to help, especially people mm -hmm. coming for your situation uh -huh. and. Um, it's always interesting to hear what the expectation is or is there anything now we can do, but I think that's the message. And I think a part of this story as well that I'd love to, to mention is the people in your life that showed you love, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was the foster carers, the Christophersons, Martin Duthie, and then Gillian was mentioned there mm -hmm. as well, that that is what you remember mm -hmm. is part of your journey, specifically moments. I think that's an encouragement not just to them, but an encouragement mm -hmm. to Alice mm -hmm. is to keep reaching out to people that uh, need reaching out to. Yeah. So your final, final question, if it'll be a final message, I hope, as you look at your life, you see if you've came through, if it would you, your final message be just to, to people here? Just never give up, you know, and as, as, as dark a place as you may feel that you're in, you know, Dark places don't always include, you know, sleeping in tents and, 
being homeless and stuff like that. You know, you can have a, a, a big, massive house and a great life, and in your head, you're in a really, really dark place. But Jesus can, he can pull you out of that. You know, if you just, if you just give it to him, give him the chance, submit your life to him, you know, he, he can pull you out of absolutely anything, and my life's testimony to that. Yeah, man. Well, God bless you, Colin. I think we've got a prayer for, for Colin before he goes, but let's hear it for Colin. That was very, very powerful. Great story. Uh, great to see for God has teen you, teen you fair and God's hand is on your life. And we're just going to pray God's best upon you, everything that you do. We'll pray for Sonny Bray and the Benaya Centers as well. Um, but I was thinking, there's a story in Mark chapter 5, Father, there's just this crazy demoniac, life without control, and I just get that picture, you know, that tint moment, or just that's the lowest point that I've, I've heard you speak about, being in that tent and everything that was going on, yet Jesus has did such a work in your life that you're able, just a short time, a year or so after, to communicate in such a way to breathe faith and hope and life into other people's lives. And what Jesus did with the demoniac, he went through the storm, he met this out of control guy, and then one encounter with Jesus, and it says he was suddenly found in his right mind fully clothed and then he went on and was just a great success for the gospel of Jesus and I just see that in your life and if I want to encourage everybody else here is is it might not be is, as Colin rightly says a tint moment you haven't got that but you have got a darkness or just a trial that we're gone through and I just want to encourage you if God can de deliver this guy for a tint uh, in the middle of a park in an incredible state or darkness, then he can do a miracle for you as well. So I just want to pray for maybe you want to be in here that you would just encounter the reality of Jesus. And if his story has encouraged you this morning, you thought, I've just came here this morning, I'm not even a Christian, to come before the Lord and please speak to us after as well. Decide this morning to follow Jesus and to be encouraged by Colin's story. So we've got to pray for us. If we just bow our heads in prayer and then we'll pray for Colin. Jesus, we are inspired this morning by a story how you can turn a life around. We thank you for Colin and he has simply said that he has now surrendered to you and God it's just made all the difference to his life. But we pray for other people in here this morning that they're just feeling a southern air in a physical tent um, and feeling isolated but they feel it in the pit of their stomachs and in their mind that there's just, there's just fear and there's just darkness. And we pray in Jesus' name that the calmness, that the love of Jesus Christ would flood into their lives as they surrender to you. We thank you that there's power in an encounter, one encounter with Jesus Christ. And we pray that this place would be a place of an encounter with Jesus Christ. Come upon us in power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've got to get the worship band up. We've got to sing our final praise song. Um, but I'm just going to ask us just to remain seated. But we've got to pray for Colin as well. Let's stretch forth our hands for Colin. Colin, you've been very brave this morning. I don't think you've scouted about any of your circumstances. I'm sure we could probably sit here for another hour and really examine everything they went through. But I just want to encourage you 
that you're just are a fantastic, honest guy on integrity, and we just see God's hand upon your life. And just thank you for being you, and thank you for encouraging us with your story this morning. But Jesus, we pray, and everything Colin does, are the challenges, the battles of the mind, that God, you would intervene. We pray for restoration of relationship for these kids as well, that God, when she is 18, she would come knocking on that door. And Jesus, I thank you, you're a God that just breathes life and love and hope into the darkest situations. We thank you for the picture of the empty tomb that proves that you are greater than honest source of darkness. And I thank you that you're able to repay back the years that the locusts have stolen. And we pray a protection upon Colin's life for his future, that his destiny would be safe in the arms of Jesus. And we break off a cycle of going well, then going back, and going well, then going back, that the cycle would simply be for glory to glory to glory as he lives a surrendered, true relationship life with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray for the Team Challenge Centers for Benaya and Sunday Bray. They wouldn't just be a place of our program. It'd be a place of the presence of Jesus Christ. Protect the staff members and people that come into the program that we would hear many, many, many more testimonies of God's goodness and their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.